Hello, everybody. This is Jack Benny. And this is Frank Brzee on the Golden Days of Radio. Yes, this is Frank Brzee welcoming you to the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past with the world's most famous personalities. Those memorable moments when everyone listened to enjoy the make-believe world of radio. Tonight, Jack Benny is our special in-person guest, and we will retrace some of the humorous and eventful broadcasts of all time. On early radio, the unexpected was the rule, for everything was done live and not pre-recorded. Jack, do you remember some of the lighter moments? Yes, Frank, there have been flubs throughout radio's history. The most famous occurred when announcer Harry Bonzel introduced President Herbert Hoover like this. The next voice you will hear will be that of the President, Hubert Heaver. That was a classic, of course. And, and Lowell Thomas had some unique moments on his newscast. Yes, Lowell sent us a recording of that program. It seems that announcer Hugh James smiled at the right moment during the broadcast. This is the result, just as it was broadcast. Well, all of Alice also was thinking Phil Harris, the band leader, <laughs> she explains that working so hard all day in the film studio, she is sometimes not in such perfectly good humor. <laughs> she, she snaps at me. <laughs> Which is all wrong. To <laughs> which I say, you're all for us. <laughs> and I'll leave the rest of it to you. <laughs> now, Lowell Thomas says, so long until tomorrow. This program came to you from New York. The news itself had its lighter side, Frank. One of the finest newsmen on the American Broadcasting Company's staff was Julian Anthony. And he, too, made a kind of history one evening. Julian gave a special permission to play this tape. I think it's probably one of the genuinely funniest moments ever to be broadcast. In the wonder world of science, uranium has been discovered a few hundred yards from the White House and nearly 300 feet up. It's in the granite of the Washington Monument, but not valuable or dangerous. Back here in New York, the Hayden Planetarium has heard from a Minnesota man who claims that the shape of Aurora Borealis and Northern Lights can be changed by flapping a bedsheet at them from the ground. The Planetarium doubts it, but the man says he did successfully flap sheets in his backyard one midnight, though his wife kept hollering at him to cut out the foolishness and get back in the house. This is Julian Anthony reporting. Yes, even the very best in the business were caught up by the unexpected. Jack, I imagine some of the funniest moments have taken place between you and George Burns. Here's a clip the night George talked about you on the Johnny Carson show. I saw Jack Benny backstage. Your old friend. Is he on the show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's still in this business, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when he comes out, I'm not going to be here. That's, that's right. I don't want any part of him. I, uh, because people expect the impossible to between Jack Benny and myself, they think that I always make him laugh. That's right. There's stories, of yeah, course. The Jack know, is your biggest patsy. And I every time you open yeah, your mouth, I smoke and he laughs. That's not true. That's not true. You see, what it's what Jack says that uh, that I repeat that makes him laugh. 
Patsy, and he says very foolish things off the stage. For example? On the stage, he doesn't. Just off stage? On the stage, he's smart, but off the stage, he's not well. <laughs> he said to me, like at the club, he said, I just had the world's greatest glass of water. That's just one of his big sayings that nobody stole. <laughs> And, and, uh, and, uh, and um, that, w that day he signed a contract for a million dollars, but that didn't interest him. But the glass of water, he thought that was good. So I told him, I says, I've been a member here of the Hillcrest Country Club now for about 35 years, and I've always been drinking the water, but if they got different water, I'd like to try it. See? And that's what makes him laugh. <laughs> then he said to me, where do you get your haircut? I said, on Vine Street there. What's his name? Um, Harry Green cuts my hair. He said, I wish you'd go to my barber. I says, well, Green has been cutting my hair for 25 years, but you've been my friend for 45 years, and when Green cuts my hair, not to offend you, I'll send your barber some of my hair, too. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a good mixer. <laughs> and uh, I said, what has your barber got that's so, that's so sensational? He says, he's got a chair that's the world's greatest chair. Greatest chair. Great chair. Everything is the world's greatest. I says, is the chair as good as the glass of water that you got a hook with? <laughs> and then that makes him laugh. See, so if I met him out here, the, the, I was at Ronnie, Ronnie Reagan's house one night. Uh, Jack was there, too. This is before he was governor. And, and, uh, and Jack came in, and we were standing at the bar having a drink. And uh, Jack came in, and he says he just left the world's greatest comedian. Everything is the world's greatest, you know. And uh, he didn't know I was there. And I says, who did you leave? He says, well, he said, I, uh, my, um, he says, you might not think he's the world's greatest comedian. I says, well, you think he's the world's greatest comedian? Well, if he's not the world's greatest comedian, he's the second greatest or the third or the fourth or the fifth. I said, who did you leave? He said, um, Larry Adler. <laughs> Larry Adler? I said, Larry Adler, the harmonica player, was the world's greatest comedian? He says, well, what he said that moment made him the world's greatest comedian. <laughs> did he tell you what it was? No, he wouldn't. I said, what did he say? He says, well, he, he said, he said, um, it won't be funny now. <laughs> I says, well, look, Jack, you've got a great delivery. You're a great comedian. I'm sure you can tell it as good as Larry Adler. You're one of the greats. Tell it. He says, well, it was, there was a situation there, you know, and, and, and it, well, I says, well, tell me the situation and then tell it. I'm sure we'll all scream at the bar here. And, and he said, well, he said, we were coming into this house and there was a nine gate. And Larry Adler said, don't slam the door. <laughs> so I said, are you sure that that line belongs to Larry? Jack, radio allowed us to fill in the details with the magic paintbrush of imagination. I wonder if that's the reason that radio was able to capture pathos on a scale far more personal than even television or the motion pictures. Yes, radio let the listener add something of himself to every broadcast. I remember two broadcasts from the Yankee Stadium in New York that are as vivid as though I heard them yesterday. You're probably thinking of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and the strange fate that entwined their destinies. 
Both were great names in baseball. Both played for the New York Yankees. <laughs> they, they even tried their hand at a radio show. Hey, babe, you've taken off a lot of weight in the past few years. Look at my figure, kid. All you've got to do now is to diet for 10 or 15 more years and you'll almost look human. Boy, I'm careful of what I eat these days. Listen, babe, you have a farm where you grow your own food, don't you? Yes, I have a farm. What do you raise there? Lots of things. Celery, for instance. Really? You raise celery? Of course. Why the surprise? I thought Colonel Rupert was the fellow that always raised your celery. I said celery, not celery. As radio performers, they were great baseball players. I think a golden moment of radio touched with rare emotion was that afternoon at Yankee Stadium when Babe Ruth said goodbye to his fans. Every seat in the giant stadium was filled. The great Babe was dying of throat cancer. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. You know how bad my voice sounds. Well, it feels just as bad. You know this baseball game of ours comes up from the youth. That means the boys. And after you're a boy and grow up to know how to play ball, then you come to the boys you see representing themselves today in your national pastime. The only real game, I think, in the world, baseball. And it was only a few years earlier, another souring crowd filled Yankee Stadium. This time it was to say so long to Lou Gehrig, for he was fatally ill and had not long to live. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Jack, I don't think pictures would have helped either scene. I know that when I listen, I can picture easily those two men dwarfed by the immensity of the stadium. Yes, their words were big and clean and brave. For sheer, unabashed sentimentality, radio certainly was the winner, hands down. It could deliver a message that stayed with its listeners. For many years, Amos and Andy's Christmas show included this sequence, and certainly it contained the essence of love. Daddy! Can I turn on the little radio for a minute before I go to sleep? Well, just for a minute or two, darling. I'll snap it on for you. There he is. Now we let it warm up a few seconds. We don't want to wake up baby. Oh, music never wakes him up, Daddy. Well, let me straighten your covers out a little bit. Did you say your prayers, honey? Mommy heard my prayers before she went out, Daddy. The Christmas choir continues with the Lord's Prayer. Well, now get under the covers, honey. Daddy, could you get some Christmas music on the radio? Why, darling, this is the very best Christmas music you could get. They're going to sing the Lord's Prayer. I've been saying the Lord's Prayer with Mommy. She's been teaching it to me. I know she is. What does the Lord's Prayer mean, Daddy? It means an awful lot. And with the world like it is today, it seems to have a bigger meaning than ever before. But what does the Lord's Prayer mean, Daddy? The Lord's Prayer... Well, darling, 
I'll explain it to you. Oh, will you, Daddy? Now, you lay down and you listen. All right. Now, the first line of the Lord's Prayer is this. Oh, Our Father, which art in heaven, that means Father of all that is good, where no wrong can dwell. And then it says, Hallowed be thy name. That means, darling, that we should love and respect all that is good. Oh. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. That means, darling, as we clean our hearts of all hate and selfishness and fill our hearts with love, the good, the true, and the beautiful, then earth will be like heaven. That would be wonderful, Daddy. Give us this day our daily bread. That means to feed our hearts and minds with kindness, love, and courage, which will make us strong for our daily task. I see. And after that, the next line says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You remember the golden rule, honey? Yes, Daddy. Well, that means that we must keep the golden rule and do unto others as we would want others to do unto us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That means, my darling, to ask God to help us do and see and think right so that we will neither be led or tempted by anything that's bad. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That means, darling, that all the world that's in it belongs to God's kingdom. Everything. Your mommy, your daddy, your little brother, your grandma, you and everybody. And as we know that and act as if we know it, that, my dear girl, is the real spirit of Christmas. That's good, Daddy. Jack, I know that the old must give way to the new, that programs and technical improvements must bring change. But I do think that something good was lost when radio tipped its hat to television. Yes, Frank, I think you're right. <laughs> Jack, as a special surprise, we have a recording of one of your guest appearances on a late-night television show, and I think our listeners will agree that you're as clever and witty without a script as you are when you spend hours or even days rehearsing for a show. Do you know that I have never been in a cafe where they have topless waitresses in my life? I've never been in one. So finally, I happen to be in San Francisco, and I thought, I'd like to go once. Not that it thrills me or anything, but, you know... <laughs> you know what they say. You know the old gag, when you see two, you've seen them all. You know what I mean? No. That is not my joke. I read it. So I just happened to think of it at the moment. But anyway, I happened to be in San Francisco. And we were driving to go back to the Fairmont Hotel, Irving. And you know Irving, Irving I manage sure. myself. And I see a big sign of a cafe, and it said, eight topless waitresses. And I thought, I've never been in 
a cafe where they have topless waitresses. So we went, started to go in. You want to know something? They wouldn't let me in because I didn't have a tie on. <laughs> I got in, you know, they gave me a tie, and I got it. even had a topless orchestra, girl orchestra. They ch- had to change the cymbal player every <laughs> Jack? <laughs> Jack, I know you'll remember this famous story you told about your old pal, George Burns. Recently, there was one thing I always wanted to tell on your show... And I never told it because I thought it might be a little bit too risque. You see, then I figured a way of telling it, which would explain it and still not be risque. What happened was, we had to be in New York City, George and I, some time ago, not too long ago, a few months ago, and we were both living at the Plaza Hotel. And we went downstairs not the oak room, but the, that other big dining room, room. Yeah, the dining room at the plaza to eat. And as we're sitting there, a young fella came over. Oh, not a young, about 35, 40 years. That's young, to, you know, for me. And he came over and he said, aren't you Jack Benny? I said, yes. Yeah. my name is so-and-so. And he says, I want to ask you something. My grandmother is here with me. Now, George is listening to this. And my grandmother is sitting here having dinner with me. She's very, very old. She's about 93, 94 years old. And Jack, I want to tell you something. She has followed your career from the time you started in show business, when you were in vaudeville and then radio and pictures and everything. She would love to meet you. Well, I said, I'll be happy to walk over He says, you don't have to because we just finished dinner and I'll bring her over. So I sit there waiting and sure enough, this fella comes over. Wait, you hear what George said to me. And he comes over with his grandmother, who was really about 94, 95 years old. A lovely little old lady. And she came over to me like this. I introduced her to George and she said, Mr. Benny, I want to tell you that I've followed your career. Oh, and she started to tell me how many years she's loved me. And, and then in radio, she adored me. And on television, she was crazy about me. And all the time she was talking, she was so old. She was just doing this with the cane. And when she got all through, I thanked her very much. And as they both walked away, she and her grandson, Burns, turned to me and he says, Jack, if you want, it looks like you're all set for tonight. (laughs) Now, naturally, naturally, I cleaned it up a little bit. I not only cleaned it up, but I thought it over. <laughs> well, that's when I laugh at George, not when he's actually working. I've heard him sing those songs that makes me vomit. <laughs> Jack, Jack, you're the, the perennial 39-year-old, but of course that, that isn't your true age. How old are you really? Well, I'm not saying this time. All I know is that last year, with all the candles burning on the cake, there were several anxious calls from forest rangers. (laughs) 
This year, though, I'll, it'll be all right. To supervise the candles this year, they're sending down Smokey the Bear. <laughs> Jack, in, in more than 25 years of radio, what was the funniest gag that ever happened? Well, the one they talk about and the one that's been uh, written up in magazines and stories and uh, articles, the money or your life, that was the, that was the biggest laugh. Of course, they, they, they claim that the biggest laugh was when the, uh, when the man said your money and your life was the long pause. Well, that was only <laughs> part of the laugh. The big laugh was when I finally said I'm thinking it over. That was the real big laugh. And, of course, everyone would like to know a little bit about your famous feud with comedian Fred Allen. How did that begin? Well, this feud with Fred Allen started by accident. A lot of people imagine that we planned a feud like this, but if you'd have planned it, it wouldn't have been successful. Uh -huh. The feud started with a little 10-year-old boy who played a violin solo, and when he got through, Allen made derogatory remarks about my violin playing. So I answered him on my show, knowing he would listen to it. And he knew I was always listening to his show, so he then answered me. And this went on week after week until we got into the feud. And we were into the feud, I would say, seven or eight months before we even discussed it with each other over the phone about what to do next. Mm -hmm. That's why it was a successful feud. It would never have been any other way. Well, Jack, you've been a successful comedian and, and one of the great names for many, many years. As a matter of fact, during your birthday party television show on February 14, 1969, one of the funniest situations that I remember was you're asking a little girl how old she thought you were. <laughs> oh, Mr. Benny, how old are you now? <laughs> well, now, why don't you... How old do you think I am? Oh, I don't know. Forty-one? Forty-two? <laughs> well, honey, that's awfully sweet of you, but I'm a little bit older than that. Guess again. Seventy-five. <laughs> well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio, and a special thank you to my in-person guest, Jack Benny. Here's a fact from Uncle Sam's Almanac. Radio began commercially in the United States in 1920, and just two decades later, it was the means of entertainment for over 150 million Americans across our land. Radio was free then, and it still is. Just another way Americans are the best-informed people on Earth. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next time for more great moments from great stars and programs. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service.